podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Concern for the form of Ali and Johnny Brownlee, gold and silver triathlon medalists in Rio. It's been a big week in the triathlon in Leeds and Michael has been there. Yeah, it's been another excellent event as far as the city of Leeds is concerned. An estimated 100,000 people lining the streets from Round Hay Park, where the swim got underway, through the cycle, and then, of course, the laps of the city centre, finishing in Millennium Square. It wasn't to be for the Brownlee brothers. It was Australia's day. Jacob Burtwistle winning the men's race, and Georgia Taylor-Brown, and we'll hear from her shortly on Anything But Footy, winning the women's race. Dasher keeps delivering at the Diamond League. Also, when did we become scared of the weather? We talk farce of the French Open. Also, rugby, rowing, hockey, honours, sailing and a little bit of footy as well. Uh, we'd like to hear from you anytime. You can get in touch at anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at anythingbutf. Facebook, Insta, we love reading your comments and views and ideas for topics as well. It's a busy one, the, this edition, uh, because, as I say, Michael's live uh, in Leeds at the triathlon. But please, if you do share, if you like us, then please share us, rate us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, your usual podcast provider. We really want to hear from you as the weeks progress and we count down to Tokyo 2020. But this edition is all about Olympic champions and how difficult it is to retain a title. Ali Brownlee, of course, did it in 2016 after winning superbly in 2012. Now, he returned to his home city for action at the Leeds Triathlon, the fourth such staging of the World Series in Leeds. But it wasn't the Ali Brownlee we know and love. Michael, what went wrong? Well, he was in good shape, actually, I thought, in the swim and certainly on the cycle as well. Both him and Johnny Brownlee, I thought, were in good shape. And I wondered whether we were heading for another Brownlee 1-2. Where have we seen that before? Um, but Alistair basically just went backwards in the race. Now, Johnny Brownlee had a bit of a, a stomach complaint, so that kind of allows for uh, his poor form in Leeds this afternoon. Um, but for Alistair, of course, he kind of taken a break, remember, from triathlon. He's gone away and done Ironman races. He's not done the full distance triathlon races as well and it just wasn't his afternoon really and hugely disappointing for him of course in front of his home crowd this remember is the course that he helped design as well it's because of the Brownlee brothers and the triathlon high performance center being based here in Leeds that this race left London and came to the city of Leeds as well where it's been hugely successful but I'm sure all those people out on the streets at Round Hay Park watching the swim uh, lining the streets for the cycle and then in the city center climaxing in Millennium Square were hoping to see a Brownlee 1-2 I'm not sure they would have been too bothered about the order uh, but it as I said, wasn't to be either for Johnny Brownlee or Ali Brownlee. And I caught up with Alistair after a tough race. Just your reaction today. How are you feeling at, at the end of that? Uh, I feel fine right now. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what was wrong with me. I just didn't have it right from the start. I uh, dived in and just felt terrible, really. Uh, and kind of battled on through and hoped that I'd come round. But, yeah, just never had it. Four years, obviously, is a long time between a London gold and then a Rio gold. Is Tokyo in the thoughts at this moment? Yeah, well, I hoped it would be. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure right now. We'll see. I, I feel like doing nothing but retiring in the moment. But you know, I think you got to you got to sleep on it and uh, you know see, make a decision. What you know, my season had been planned up to today, up to this point. So uh, you know, I've got to sit down and have a think about what I'm going to do after today. Is that a serious proposition for you at the moment? Packing up, retiring? No, 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 not retiring completely. It's just what you feel like after a bad race. All right, well done. Thanks.
So basically, Michael, I mean, he's saying there, look, I've I've retired or I could retire. I feel like retiring at the moment, but I'm going to go away and sleep about it. I mean, that was that was pretty stark from someone who was saying before the race, I'm in good form. You're you're a long time retired. You know, I, I don't want to give up elite triathlon racing. But did Leeds prove a step too far for Ali Brownlee? Well, let me just give you a bit of an insight into how things work at the end of these races. Clearly, as I've already mentioned, it wasn't his afternoon on the streets of Leeds. Now, as soon as he finishes that race, he gets dragged off to speak to BBC Television, who, of course, were live in Leeds for five hours on the BBC this afternoon. And that's where he he said this line initially. He says, I'm fit to retire. He then gets brought straight to me. I was the next person to interview him. So we're talking here a couple of minutes after his live TV interview. We're talking here within 10 minutes of him finishing the race. He then reiterates this line to me and says, I'm thinking of retiring. I push him on it. He grins at me. We do know each other quite well and kind of backs down. He then goes and speaks to a local reporter, a guy called Nick Westby, who's an Olympics reporter for the Yorkshire Evening Post. Again, covers a lot of triathlon. Nick puts the same question to him, having heard it on the television, now just heard it when he's spoken to me. And at this point, of course, 15, 20 minutes after the end of the race, he's back down from it. And he's saying, no, look, I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to give it up. That's just the way I speak at the end of races. Sometimes I say and do daft things. He's not going to retire now. But how tough is it to win an Olympic medal just once and then do it again and then potentially do it again? He wants to go to Tokyo 2020. It it feels like that is going to happen at the moment. And he was really testing himself, uh, as you say, before this event in Leeds. I thought he did look really good uh, in the the bike race. I mean, I think they had a 10-second lead um, after a couple of laps in that bike race with a a lap to go, but he got clawed back in that. And then, uh, as you rightly say, he had had nothing in his legs for the seven-and-a-half-kilometre run around Leeds, which is no fun for anyone. But, you know, how difficult is it for him to retain an Olympic title, let alone three in a row, um, you know, not in the same games. You know, Michael Phelps has won 20-odd medals, but of course a lot of those were were in in similar games. We remember Steve Redgrave winning five on the trot, uh, and that is an incredible record, but he's only... I only say only rowing. He's rowing. It's one event. Johnny Brownlee and Ali Brownlee, of course, are running, cycling and swimming. And Seb Coe, who we'll talk about later on anything but footy, you know, a double Olympic champion over the, the middle distance of 1500 metres uh, at, uh, at Moscow and L.A. But Andy Murray, Jay Jones, Nicola Adams, Laura Trott, Jason Kenny, Chris Hoy, Mo Farah have all defended. Ben Ainsley have all defended their Olympic titles. But for Ali to go to Tokyo and win another Olympic gold, it's not looking like it at the moment, is it? It's not looking like it at the moment. Never write off a double Olympic champion, but you're quite right in what you say. Triathlon, the toil it must have taken on his body to have peaked at London and then to peak again in Rio de Janeiro, of course, to do it again. I'm not sure the way he was after this race today, whether Tokyo is as, is as firmly in his thoughts right now. And a, a third, possibly, remember, because there's a mixed team event going to be at the next Olympics, possibly a fourth Olympic gold medal as well. I'm not sure that, that that individual race is as high in his thoughts a year out from the Olympic Games as it probably was in 2011 and 2015. It's certainly in Johnny Brownlee's thoughts. He had a bad day today, as he said, a bit of a, a stomach upset, I think, curtailed his performance today. It wouldn't surprise me to see the other Brownlee brother on top of the podium, certainly in the men's individual event in Tokyo. But I do think Britain have got a 
great chance when it comes to this team event. And if you look at the women's race today, the mm. elite women's race today, you've got Jess Learmonth from Leeds who won the bronze. You've got Non Stanford finished fifth. Vicky Holland, current leading reigning world champion, finished seventh. Sophie Caldwell in the top ten as well. And a first win at this level for Georgia Taylor Brown. So the competition between those to get those three places, those three places in the individual event, is phenomenal at the moment. It was Georgia Taylor Brown's afternoon. She went with three laps to go on the run. As I said, her first gold at this level, the 25-year-old, is from Manchester originally, but based in Leeds now, and she told me that she absolutely loved it. It's a bit crazy at the minute. Yeah, I can't, I can't quite believe it. Um, I'm just super, super happy. I didn't, I didn't think that today at all. And when I was in the back, that front pack, I was like, I'm just going to take all of this in because I just had a really good swim. Yeah, we worked really well as a group, and uh, yeah, I just kept pushing the whole way and found myself at the front, and uh, kind of then was just running panicked. <laughs> You're right, it was impressive with Jess Learmonth, uh, Non Stanford and Vicky Holland. And, um, and what's great to see, and we've talked about this, the strength in depth in women's sport really ahead of the Olympics. You know, we'll talk about Dina Asher-Smith later in anything but footy as well. It does show just how tough it will be getting to Tokyo. Yeah, it's going to be a phenomenal um, race, I think, to get those three berths for the uh, triathlon team. And I would have said ahead of this race today that the person that was in pole position was probably Jess Learmonth, who finished third. Very strong performance uh, from her finishing third. She's always very good in the swim. She had a bit of a mess-up, a real mess-up, in fact, in transition T1 uh, between the swim and the cycle. Uh, but she recovered well in the cycle. Running is not her strong point. And as we said, with Vicky Holland on Stanford as well, Holland won 12 months ago go she admits and she told me that she thinks it's going to be very tough just to get in the team in a year's time for Tokyo. Unbelievable strength and depth but it just makes it so hard when it comes to Olympic Games selection which is kind of what was all in the back of our minds now we're going into that that phase of the program or, or of the cycle now where we're all thinking about that and yeah we've got to, we've got to fight for three places so it's yeah it's a hard hard gig. Now in the men's race 21 year old Alex Yi who's had a, a brilliant season so far with uh, top five finishes in his first two world series he found Leeds tough finishing in 15th Tom Bishop the leading Britain in 13th and that strength in depth from the men has got to start coming through over the months to come it's interesting Michael though that the test event in Tokyo which takes place in August this year will be the big race for the Brownleys and Vicky Holland as you mentioned there as Rio medalists they apparently only need one big performance in that test event to qualify automatically for Tokyo 2020 so that is the big aim now August this year in Tokyo for the Brownleys and Holland and we should mention as well the Leeds leg of the triathlon was not just about those elite names that we mentioned. Over 3,000 also took part earlier on in a mass participation event. And these people who I spoke to after taking part told me that it was both for the experienced and the newbies. Really well organised by Leeds and all the tri societies and just the, the friendly atmosphere. And when you get into heading to the um, head row and all the people cheering you on, even though you want to walk... And pack in. You can't, you've got to keep going. Pride keeps you going. This is my first um, sprint triathlon in open water, and I absolutely loved it. It was a bit uh, scary at the start, but once I got going, I felt great. I love coming here. It's my third triathlon here now, so three years running, and uh, I've beat my target time, which was three hours. I've done it in two fifty, so I'm over the moon. And the weather, the weather's turned out good. It sounds like it was a, a great day, Michael. The weather held out, but it's chucking it down now. <laughs> yeah, the media centre here in Leeds is being taken down around me and the uh, rain 
uh, which held off, as you said, for most of the day, is now absolutely torrential. And, well, it's to be expected, isn't it? Because torrential rain has caused some real issues in the world of sport during the course of this week. And I'm talking, of course, about the French Open in Paris. And Johanna Conter, of course, who has slammed the organisers at Roland Garros, has accused them of being sexist. Remember, she lost her semi-final, which started at 11 o'clock in the morning on court number three. Court Simon Mathieu, uh, just a tiny crowd there. There is actually a 5,000 capacity. That is a new court that has cost 360 million euros. But they lost so much play due to the weather, of course, uh, that she was forced uh, to play the world number 38 in that semi-final. Marketa Vondrusova, and she lost 7-5-7-6. She did have some opportunities in the first set. But what do you think? I know you've been following it very, very closely this week. Conta, surprised by the decision. She said the atmosphere did not feel like a Grand Slam semi-final. She said she's fed up justifying uh, the women's scheduling. She's fed up justifying involvement. She's fed up justifying salary. Is she hard done by, John? I think she is. I mean, she said, she, did she feel like she was playing in a, in a slam semi-final? And she said, in terms of the surrounding and the occasion, probably not. And Steve Simon, the CEO and chair of the WTA, put out a statement as well saying that the scheduling was inappropriate and unfair. Now, I think we all agree, Michael, that tennis is probably one of the most equal sports out there. We know that Wimbledon, you get the same prize money as the, as the men and the women. And, and, you know, the women's champion is, is, you know, with Martina Navratilova and everything that we, you know, remember from the glory days of Steffi Graf uh, right up to, of course, Monica Sellers and, and uh, Martina Hingis and, and people performing so brilliantly. And Jana Novotna, what a, what a great memory we have of her uh, winning at Wimbledon. That actually, tennis is a really equal sport but it appears it wasn't particularly at the French Open and all they really cared about was Roger Federer Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic and, and Dominic Team as well who obviously were the, the four men's semi-finalists I think Joe Conta had a great chance to reach a Grand Slam final she's now been in three semi-finals she's now lost three as you rightly said she led the first set 5-3 lost it 7-5 then also led in the second set as well to this 19 year old unseeded Czech star who frankly was uh, outplayed by Ashley Barty in the final the Australian in her first Grand Slam well done to her but you just wonder whether Conta, it was her opportunity to really make a mark in a Grand Slam uh, this year. No, she'd never won at the French Open, to give her credit. She'd never won at Roland Garros before. But it was really disappointing. And you just think that it wasn't helped by the staging of that event. And what's really interesting, Michael, is that night after those semi women's semi-finals, they were playing, of course, Djokovic and team on the Friday night. And they kept saying well, we're going to come off because it might rain. It wasn't raining, but it might rain. There was an imminent chance of rain. And, and it was the same, you know, and apparently they stopped at 6.30 in the night in Paris for, for, for no rain, and it didn't rain for the rest of the night. But they were told by the forecasters that it was imminent. I mean, I've never heard of anything quite like it, that, you know, these, these experts are saying it might rain, and I suppose you kind of have to believe them a little bit, but you don't stop playing until it's actually raining, do you? Well, it's happened at Wimbledon where they, they look at the forecast and they, they see the rain showers coming in. And I, I've seen it happen, you know, at uh, at the All England Club. I think the, the bigger picture, though, is that Roland Garros has rather got left behind as far as tennis arenas, tennis venues are concerned. Certainly behind what's happening in Australia, what's happening at, at Flushing Meadows, certainly what's happening uh, at a, in London, of course, at Wimbledon. Roland Garros is in a very historic area of Paris. Their growth has been stunted. The 
the growth of the complex has been stunted because of laws and rules and regulations around architecture. Actually, the Olympic Games coming in 2024 are going to help Roland Garros. We know that there's a roof coming to the main court, the Philippe Chatrier court. That has been revamped. There will be a roof on that next year. And the Olympic planning rules that are being brought in to help the Olympics, and as we recall from London, of course, when you win the Olympic Games, some new laws, new regulations come in so you can start compulsory purchasing land and things that perhaps you wouldn't have been able to do if you hadn't won the bid to the Olympics. The Olympic planning rules, the change of those rules in Paris means that Roland Garros could be expanded and improved and might then start being the equal of Australia, where the Rod Laver Arena, as I said, in New York, Flushing Meadow and at Wimbledon as well. Remember, Roland Garros will be hosting not just the tennis, but the boxing as well in 2024. So there will have to be some work happening there. I just feel they've got a little bit left behind over the last five or ten years. Mm, That is a fair point. And uh, someone who wasn't left behind and continues to dominate is Rafa Nadal, uh, champion once again. I watched him against Federer in the semi-final. He was just unplayable. I mean, Roger looked his age um, but, you know, he absolutely cruised to the semi-finals, so he's much better than any other tennis player out there, apart from Rafa Nadal on clay. Uh, King of clay, 12 titles at Roland Garros, just too good, uh, and he was champion once again at uh, the French Open. And, Michael, you mentioned the venue for uh, Paris 2024. Still to come, we'll be talking about British success at the sailing venue for Paris 2024. It's just down the road in Marseille. Uh, that is <laughs> that is to come. Uh, but what a big week it's been once again for athletics. The Doha World Championships coming up, of course, later on in the summer. And we will be talking about Dasher, the new nickname for Dina Asher-Smith uh, from anything but footies. Michael Weedock, who came up with that last week uh, in the last edition. But the big news this afternoon from athletics is A, a name change but also no change that Russia will remain banned from world-class athletics. It's the 11th time the IAAF have reached this decision and the biggest sport in the world, athletics, has said that Russia is still not welcome to compete. Uh, They were worried, they said, about banned Russian coaches still being involved in sport and the Lysenko Lysenko case that we talked about in the last edition of Anything But Footy, Dasher, Doping, Disappointment and Dreams. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to the latest investigations that are going on uh, with Russia. But for now, the IAAF has said that Russia remains banned uh, so it doesn't look like they will be at the Doha World Athletics Championships and for no longer will I be calling it the IAAF Michael because there is a new brand which will help attract according to Lord Coe uh, of course the man in charge engage a new generation of young people to athletics Uh, the IAAF name has been around for a hundred years but according to the new British CEO John Ridgen of course a silver medalist in the world championships over the high hurdles he said there's little understanding or relevance to those outside of athletics so very much like British athletics who uh, officially are called UK athletics UKA they're actually their brand is British Athletics. The new identity that the IAAF have come up with is World Athletics. World Athletics is its new name. Uh, the logo uh, uses the the letters WA. I really hope it won't get confused with W1A, <laughs> which of course was a ripoff of 2012, which Seb Coe uh, famously starred in as himself, of course. But uh, a new brand for athletics. And um, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether they can convert some people, um, as they say, the next generation. But talking of athletics, Casta Semenya is back, Michael. 
Yeah, a couple of points just to talk about. Obviously, Casa Semenya um, had to go to the Federal Supreme Court in Switzerland. They have ordered the IAAF uh, regulation, which basically said that uh, athletes in Casa Semenya's position uh, would have to compete with medication to lower their testosterone levels. The Federal Supreme Court have told the IAAF to immediately suspend that. Now, that is just about Casta Semenya. It means that she can race. The IAAF, or whatever we're calling them this week, will have to respond <laughs> to that now. And then the Swiss Supreme Court will issue another ruling. So it's just a suspension. Uh, it's not the end of this case. Casta Semenya said, I'm thankful to the Swiss judges for this decision. I hope that following my appeal, I will once again uh, be able to run free. Just a point on the rebranding. I think it's very much in vogue, isn't it, in world sport? You know, when I grew up, we used to talk about the BOA, the British Olympic Association. Now suddenly we talk about Team GB. Everybody knows Team GB, don't they? Actually, the team that compete in the Olympic Games is Great Britain and Northern Ireland. If I was in Northern Ireland, I might be a little bit upset in the way that Northern Ireland's sort of been dropped from the brand hasn't it but in terms of commercial sponsorship partnership stakeholders team gb works it's a better twitter handle you talk about british athletics it's all about the hashtags now isn't it hashtag better never stops hashtag represent the iaaf are just at last coming into the 21st century and i don't blame them Hashtag anything but footy, of course, uh, as well. Um, and, and I thought their, their statement on Semenya was really strong, actually, Michael. They said they're convinced that there are some contexts, sport being one of them, where biology has to trump identity. I thought that was a, a really strongly worded uh, 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 argument from the uh, world athletics, as we've got to get used to calling them. <laughs> uh, they still run the Diamond League in Rome. Used to be the Golden League, of course. Rebranded, <laughs> rebranded. It's all about the rebrands. <laughs> well, Dina Rasher-Smith doesn't need any rebranding, does she? Second, dash up. Uh, dash up. Well, OK, we've rebranded her, absolutely. Um, second in the 100 metres, her first appearance in the 100 metres uh, at this level this season. 10.94, um, just, uh, you know, just behind the uh, Olympic champion Elaine Thompson, who ran the world's fastest time, 10.84 uh, this season. Um, good start to the season, of course, from Dasha, Dina Asher-Smith, um, and her you know, first outing in this short sprint. She looked really, really impressive. And it's interesting, she and Alicia McColgan, who also did brilliantly uh, in the 1,500 metres um, at, uh, at the weekend, uh, sorry, in the Diamond League in the week, um, they are two of British athletes who've qualified for Tokyo 2020 for two separate events. Dina Asher-Smith and Elish McColgan already know they're going to Tokyo 2020 uh, because they've already qualified. And in fact, Great Britain, or Team GB, as you rightly say, Michael, uh, their uh, competition, uh, 10 to 14 British athletes already booked for Tokyo 2020, which is uh, great to see uh, in the Diamond League. Yeah, interesting. I was with some people that work for um, Team GB during the course of the week. I went down to the, the kitting out event for the European Games, which are coming to Minsk. And they're talking about a team of between 350, 400 maybe from these shores for the, the next Olympics. In terms of medal targets, and we've discussed them, um, we weren't talking specifically about medal targets, um, certainly not on the record. Um, but I think the perception is that the medal the medal table, Great Britain probably won't be quite as high up as they were in Rio. But in, in terms of athletics medals, of course, you know, the era of uh, the Super Saturday uh, runners of Mo Farah, Jessica Ennis-Hill, Greg Rutherford is, is probably behind us, although we'll wait and see on, on Mo Farah, of course. We're now looking at the likes of Laura Muir and 
and and Dina Asher Smith. And you know, if we're going to call Dina Asher Smith Dasher, let's call her Lightning Laura. Let's rebrand her. And we should mention Andrew Posse as well. Andy Posse, really good confidence boosting Diamond League performance for him in the 110 meter hurdles. He's had a horrific time with injury. His best performance uh, since 2017 as well. So you know, I think there's lots to be very positive about at the moment. I think with Dina Asher Smith, of course, second behind Elaine Thompson in the 100 meters in the second fastest time of the year. I think the 200s probably have better opportunity um, for a medal. But a good week as well for British athletics, kind of off the field of play, if you like, because Toyota have been announced as an event sponsor for the para-athletics program, both at the anniversary games on the 20th and the 21st of July. Also the Birmingham Grand Prix as well on the 18th of August. Uh, Toyota already a Paralympic partner. They're a Paralympics GB sponsor as well. There's going to be five para events at the anniversary games as well. And Toyota have announced this week that they are getting on board. Yeah, great to see that uh, teaming up uh, of sponsors on there. And as you rightly say, Lightning Laura, second uh, in the 1,500 metres behind Debaba, uh, her second fastest time over 1,500 metres, um, leading the Europeans this season. So well done to Laura Muir. She uh, remains, uh, as we all are, on track for Tokyo 2020. We're going to talk sailing, hockey, honours, rowing, rugby, uh, all to come uh, before the end of anything but footy. But uh, talking of footy, Uh, The Women's World Cup is underway in France and uh, the big teams, France, Germany, Brazil and apparently England, uh, all got uh, their campaigns off to a win as well. I thought France were particularly impressive. Um, Some quality finishing, some strong headers from corners as well against South Korea, who didn't quite have the height advantage. Um, Germany were less impressive against China, uh, but uh, they went 1-0. And England, of course, beat Scotland by two goals to one as well. Nikita Paris uh, with her the first ever World Cup goal for her, a penalty after just 14 minutes, six in six she scored in qualifying. Uh, And then Ellen White made it comfortable at half-time with a second. Didn't play very well second half England. Claire Emsley making history with Scotland's first ever World Cup goal on the 79th minute. But boy, were they better than Euro 2017 when England beat them 6-0. But it made for a tense end. A win, though, is a win, Michael. They didn't look amazing. Uh, A long way to go. England, Argentina next, then Japan. And then, of course, it's Japan for Scotland next and then Argentina. But the World Cup is underway uh, and it certainly looks like France are putting on a bit of a show. Yeah, and if you're tweeting about uh, the Women's World Cup, do not call them the female lions, as I've seen. <laughs> if, we are, if we're talking about branding, as we have been extensively in this episode of Anything But Footy, lionesses. That's the word you're looking for. That is the Twitter handle you're looking for. And staying, of course, with women's sport, and it was all about the women in the Queen's Birthday Honours. 37 sporting honours announced, of course, for the uh, Queen's Birthday. I'll just run through a few of them. Firstly, um, three that I'm really pleased about in terms of sporting administration. Cherry Alexander at British Athletics picked up an OBE. Sally Monday, a name that might be familiar to you because she's taking over at UK Sport. Uh, She was in charge of hockey in this country again picked up an OBE and Jan Patterson someone that you and I know pretty well uh, was part of Team GB at the the BOA she also was the uh, leader of Team England at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow as well she's also picked up an OBE I'll mention a couple of others as we're talking football and the Women's World Cup Jane Ludlow the Welsh coach Shelley Kerr of the uh, Scottish team both picked up MBEs Open Golf Champion Georgia Hall she picked up an MBE as well Uh, Gillian Donaldson another one picked up an MBE Fencing Gold medalist from Melbourne in 1956. Nowadays, of course, if you win a gold medal at the Olympics, if you accept the honour, 
you are, of course, automatically given the MBE. So, for example, the women's hockey team, every member of that squad got elevated to the MBE. Gillian Donaldson's had to wait till she's in her 90s, had to wait from 1956 and the games in Melbourne to get her MBE for winning gold in the fencing. And I'll mention as well my friend Amma Agbezi, England netball captain, also picked up an MBE. And I think I've told this story before, but back in 1998, I did a TV show based in Birmingham. It was called Talent 2000. We selected a dozen uh, young sportsmen and women who were going to be huge stars in 2000. I recently dug out the tapes of those. I'd never heard of any of them apart from Amma Agbezi, who went on to become England's netball captain. So I'm delighted for her. Gold medalist, of course, on the Gold Coast. Have I ever mentioned I was there at that Commonwealth Games? Also picking up an, an MBE as well. So congratulations to, to my friend Amma. Olympic silver medalist Peter Chambers has announced his retirement from international rowing after a glittering 10-year career representing Great Britain. Chambers won a silver medal in the men's lightweight four at London 2012 alongside his brother Richard, Chris Bartley and Rob Williams. And he said, I started coaching last year and realised I now prefer being on the other side of the sport. Three months to the Para World Championship swimming in London, just over 440 days to the Paralympics in Tokyo. And at the World Series event in Berlin, Great Britain had a phenomenal penultimate night, took four of the six golds on offer. The standouts included Alice Tai, who also uh, broke a new world record. And in the world of aquatics, we also say congratulations to Kate Shortman, who won a bronze medal at the Artistic Swimming World Series, or synchro swimming if you've listened to a previous episode of anything but footy that event was in barcelona she picked up that bronze medal in the women's solo free get the brand right uh, great britain lost to germany 4-3 and they were leapfrogged in the fourth in the table uh, in the uh, fih pro league in hockey uh, in the week great britain's women also lost by the same scoreline letting in a goal with 17 seconds to go uh, not the uh, comeback that Olympic gold medal winning goalkeeper Maddie Hinch would have wanted. A better result for the men against Australia, though. They won on penalties after the match ended 2-2. Uh, so they get two points. Uh, unfortunately, the women lost again 4-2. And the final one from me, as far as sailing is concerned, in Marseille at the World Cup event, Hannah Mills and Ailey McIntyre were looking for a third consecutive World Cup series, but had to settle for a silver medal behind the French pair of uh, Carrie Lecontre and Aloise Retonaz. And there was further silver success for British sailors in the World Cup series in Marseille, which is where the venue will be for Paris 2024, the sailing venue. So really close. They will obviously be going to the opening ceremony, not. Uh, John Gibson and Anna Burnett came second in the NACRA 17 after finishing their European Championships in Weymouth. And a silver success as well for 22-year-old Saskia Sills from Cornwall, who grabbed her first medal at a senior level in the windsurfing, the RSX class. And as I say, they'll be back in Marseille, hopefully, for uh, Paris 2024. One other bit of news for you from the world of rugby. Charlie Hayter has been appointed England Women's Sevens head coach. He will take over from James Bailey, who will leave the role at the end of the season for a position outside of the RFU. Well, it's been quite a weekend for British triathlon uh, with uh, Ali and Johnny Brownlee not performing as we expected them to, but what strength and depth we have in the women's event. We will look forward to their uh, performances over the coming months as we count down to Tokyo 2020. We'd like to hear from you at any time. You can get in touch at anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at anythingbutf, Facebook, Insta. Please share, like, rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or your usual podcast provider. And from a wet leads, uh, and from a less wet elsewhere, uh, we'll look forward to catching up next week. 
Sports Social Podcast Network.